Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. Morning, everyone. Um, we're continuing our series this morning in the book of Ephesians. So if you could turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And um, while you do that, just maybe a little bit of an intro and some background. Um, the letter to the Ephesian church, uh, the book of um, Ephesians, written to the church in Ephesus, um, was written by Paul. Um, and to probably understand the context of it, you need to go back to the book of Acts, um, where it talks about Paul going to Ephesus. So he'd been there twice. Um, his second missionary journey on his way back to Jerusalem, he'd stopped over um, in Ephesus. And then on his third missionary journey, um, he actually went to the city of Ephesus and he stayed there for three years. And um, there was a real fondness with this church. In fact, in his um, last sermon that he preached there, he, he mentioned to them, he said, this is the last time that you would ever see my face again. And they prayed for him. They cried, as you can imagine. And that really stirred in their hearts that this would be the last time that they would see this man. And then off he went. And um, of course, on his fourth missionary journey was kind of a one-way ticket to Rome, um, where he spent out the rest of his days in, in prison. And that's where he died. But while he was in prison, that's when he wrote back to this church in Ephesus. What I like about this letter, unlike many of the other letters that are written, it wasn't written to address any specific issue. It was more a letter of encouragement. Um, so unlike um, the letter to the church in Corinth, the book of Corinthians, where he specifically addressed their sin, uh, in that case, their sexual sin, um, or the book of Galatians, where he kind of addressed the law and Gentiles, the book of Ephesians isn't really like that, addressing a specific issue. It was a letter of encouragement. So I've had the opportunity a few years ago to visit um, the city of Ephesus. Um, it's a really happening city. It rocks. In fact, it's made out of rocks. Um, and there's no one that lives there anymore. Um, it's just outside of Kushadasi in uh, modern-day Turkey. So it's really nice. I've also been to Corinth in Greece, which is also made out of rocks. And it's kind of my bucket list to get to all the New Testament city churches, uh, including the Holy Land at some point. I'm told there's a cruise. So, uh, Uncle Mike, uh, maybe you can look into that. There's an assignment for you um, to try and do that and let us know. And then we all can go along with you on the next one. All right. That's the background. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, for this reason. For what reason? Okay, to understand that, you need to go back to chapter 2 and get Marlies' sermon from last week. But he ends off in chapter 2 talking about the church. But he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, right? So he tells you that's the mystery. 
members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10 says, For that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. God bless the reading of his word. Um, there are four things this morning that I want to look at uh, through this, through the scripture. And the first is this, the mystery of the gospel revealed, right? And I think in here there are two things uh, that's quite important. When Jesus came, God's plan for salvation was made known to everyone. Throughout the Old Testament, there were just glimpses of what the prophets had foreseen, but had never experienced it. They didn't know. They kind of saw this was going to come. They documented it, and, they, and, and, and it, it was just there. No one, no one actually saw it. Until Jesus came, died, and shed his blood, and rose again, that through his blood, we have been reconciled back to God. Right? That's the plan of salvation. It was a mystery. No human could have thought of that plan. It couldn't have just been made up. It was divine. So that's the first thing. The second thing, which here specifically he is talking about, and we've covered this at length during our series in the book of Galatians, is that the Gentiles are also heirs in this gospel. That's the mystery. And you'd remember in the book of Galatians, um, the Jews said, uh-uh, you can't be a part of this unless you followed the law. And they used the example of circumcision. It wasn't just circumcision. Circum it was the whole law. Circumcision just represented the law. And they kept this exclusivity um, that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be a part of what God is doing. You've got to remember the early Christians, the early church, was just Jews. Jesus was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He lived as a Jew, and he died as a Jew. All his disciples were Jews. Most of the people that followed him were Jews. That was the early church. But then as God began to expand, the other people, the Gentiles, you and I became a part of this. And every time God brought this growth, man tried to limit that growth. Now picture this. When circumcision first started 2,000 years even earlier, right? So Abraham is walking with the troops, and he comes back and he says, Hey, guys, I just had a chat with God. And you know what? He wants us to be his chosen people. And all the guys go, Yeah! Woohoo! Yeah! High fives! Celia was at a men's camp this weekend. And then Abraham tells him, he says, and in order for us to be God's chosen people, there's something that we're going to have to do. 
to mark this covenant. And the guys go, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that going to be? A tattoo? Um, no, 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 it's, it's not a tattoo. Uh, what, what, do we, do we all have to go to Stoffel and cut our hair in a mohawk or something? Do we all have this unique hairstyle? Will, will that mark who we are? Um, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not a haircut. But what, 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 tell us, what, what do we have to do? Um, we're God's chosen people, and, um, in order to show this expression of the covenant, um, we're going to have to chop off the, the ends of our weenies. What? No way, man. There's a reason my hands are this long. And then fast forward 2,000 years later. In fact, come to today. May and I uh, have the privilege actually of serving at, um, at the, welcome, um, at the welcome team here in the mornings. I imagine that. New people come to church. It's great when you meet new people, but new people come to church. Um, welcome to LRC Limbro, where we believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in the communion of, of, of all the saints. And we also believe in the chopping off of the ends of your manhood. Gentlemen, step right this way. And it's hard enough to get people to come to church as it is. Now, as ridiculous as this might sound, in the early church, this was a big discussion. This was a big debate. And it went on for a while, but you can see how ridiculous it is. And what really gets me frustrated uh, today about people trying to observe the law. So there's people who observe Shabbat, so when the sun goes down on, on, on Friday to when the sun goes down on Saturday, that's Shabbat. And Christians kind of getting involved with all of that. And you know what, just what frustrates me, you know, you can't imagine, it just it fries my Indian pancakes, is that when people do this and they impose it on other people to do. Oh, you can't hang up a Christmas tree because the law said that you could not put decorations on trees. And they enforce it on other people. Now, what the scripture said was this, that if you were going to obey the law, you had to obey all of the law. There's nothing, and that's what these people often do, is that they just sort of select certain parts and whatever, whatever sort of um, suits them, and they choose that. They don't select the whole law to follow. So the law said, those who curse shall be put to death. That will wipe half of you out. Those who disobey their parents will be stoned. There goes our Jason. I won't give you the reference to that scripture, just in case, parents. So those who work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. You see, you can't just choose sections of the law and apply it to your life. It doesn't work that way. Now, again, in the book of Acts, when you read about the whole thing, and in Acts chapter 15, there were still a few elements of the law that you have to obey. And in fact, today, if you do it, 
it's a sin if you do do that. And there were four things, actually, um, and I did put that up. The number one is that you do not eat food sacrificed to idols. Big deal. Most of you will think, well, that I never do that. But I do know that in, the, in some of the Indian religions, um, when they do prayers and things like that, there is food sacrificed to idols. You should not eat that. Okay, but again, not such a big deal. The second thing was do not eat blood. Now, that's disgusting, but it does also happen. Again, I know Indians, when they do their prayers, they slaughter chicken, they collect the blood, and they cook it, and they eat it. I thought that was only an Indian thing until yesterday when Johan told me they also do that in Randfontein. Now, now, according to Scripture, that's a sin. You shouldn't do that also. The third thing is that you shouldn't eat meat of strangled animals. And I think this, again, had to do with the blood. You have to actually slaughter and let the blood flow out. And the fourth thing was that you are to abstain from sexual immorality. In fact, if people just did the, the fourth thing, the last thing, I'd be quite happy. But these are the four things that were still there, and we are still not to do that. And this was the mystery. It's not a mystery for us today, I don't think. But certainly for the Ephesian church 2,000 years ago. It was a mystery. How could it be that, hey, it's not just for Jews. It's for everyone else. That everyone's invited. That everyone can be a part of this. So that's the first thing, the mystery of God. The second thing is Paul, the servant of Christ. In verse 7 to 8, he talks about God's grace. And he talks about him being the very least of all the saints. Came up in prayer meeting this morning. Ruben didn't know I was going to speak on this. But this was Paul writing this letter. Early on, his name was Saul. He did everything right, right? He, he read the law. He studied the law. He knew the law. He did all of those rituals that he needed to do. He persecuted Christians. We remember the stoning of Stephen. He was right there. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he gets struck down. Not dead, but he gets struck down. And Jesus tells him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Jesus reveals himself to this man. He's blind for a bit. He goes to a place on straight street and Someone, a Christian comes and prays for him. And eventually the scales of his eyes fall out. He comes into the community of believers who are then very skeptical of him. It's like kind of the equivalent of Osama bin Laden coming in here. We think he's dead, but when we were in the U.S. a month ago, most of the Americans don't believe that he's dead. But just imagine someone like that came in here. We think, what is this guy doing here? Did he come to bomb us? Right? We'll be very skeptical. And that's how they treated Paul at the beginning. But he continued. And God blesses this man. He reveals himself to this man. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He goes from city to city, planting churches, making an impact in the kingdom of God in the New Testament. Remarkable. Someone who wasn't just anti what was going on on what was going on, but someone who, who violently opposed Christians. And that was the power of what the Holy Spirit could do in the early church. And it turns this man's life around, and he becomes a servant of Christ. 
the general trend, um, if you look at what would happen with Paul, whenever he went to a city, he'd always start first with the Jews. He'd always start in the synagogue first, and then they'll kick him out. And then he'd go to the Gentiles. And then sometimes there he'd be kicked out. And um, then he'd end up in jail. There was no holiday in for him. In fact, this apostle's accommodation used to be jail half the time. And may we be as humble as Paul was and as he talks about it here. Now in prison, as he writes back to this church, he talks about his hardships. He talks about prison. He talks about his suffering that is for our benefit and is for our glory in the ends of this chapter. The third thing is the church. And verse 10 talks about the church. Um, God's intention and his plan and his purpose in the world today is done through the church. It's not done through a parish church organization. It's not done through an NGO. It's certainly not done through government, thank God. But it is done through the church. Again, you know this. I've said this several times. The building is not the church. Um, you don't take your hat off when you come into the church. You take your hat off the church. We are the church. And the question, I suppose, this morning is, do we fulfill our godly purpose? In fact, the scripture goes on to talk about an eternal purpose in the world today. Do we set an example for our non-Christian friends and family? Do we speak life over our country, or is it always just doom and gloom? Do we set the example of paying our taxes? There's a whole thing on morality around taxes at the moment. People don't want to pay because of what's happening. and It's understandable. But do we set the example in doing that? Taxes, by the way, are due end of this month. 20, 24th of November, actually, individuals. A lot of businesses here if you need a good accountant. So. But now, I don't know if you saw this week, guys. The lead singer, Bono, got involved for tax evasion. That was trending. I just got one thing to say. If it happens to Bono, it can happen to you too. So, give my wife credit for that one. You may not realize this, but our non-Christian family and friends, they watch us. I don't know if you've ever heard this thing, this guy's quote, and he calls himself a Christian. They watch us, and they even know that there's a standard that we need to be attaining to in our lives. And do we do that? Your life is a testimony. When we live in God's eternal purpose, we don't burn out by that purpose. doesn't mean that you won't face trials. In fact, James, the book of James tells us when you face trials, not if. But when you're in that purpose of what God has called you to do, no matter what comes your way, you're focused it's an eternal purpose. When you have an eternal purpose, you don't need to see a therapist. And again, I was surprised while we were in the U.S., how many people go for therapy and how important it's what their therapist thinks and how he views things and what he tells them. And, and oh, let me just check what my therapist says and I'll get back to you. It's shocking, but it's, it's also a global trend. Instead of looking at your therapist, look to Jesus. 
See his purpose for your life. Find that purpose and walk in that purpose. You won't face depression. That I can promise you. Just live for his purpose in your life. And then finally, point number four. In verse 12, it talks about in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This confidence and this boldness. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. We don't need to be afraid. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes you invite people to come to church uh, who don't really know God, and often they feel scared to come. No, I'm not going to come. Because they just feel, you know, once they, the minute they walk in here, God's going to just zap them like a fly. And they think, no, you know, I need to get my life right. I need to get my life sorted out before I start coming in. We all know that's not true. There's nobody in this auditorium here today who can say, I've got my life right. That's why I'm here. And that's why we need Jesus to help us to get our life right. And as children of God, we don't need to be afraid. In my home, my boys, they're not afraid to go and open the fridge and take something. It's their home. In fact, my, my eldest son, Matt, who's homeschooled this year, and he follows quite a strict um, schedule each day. And at 10 o'clock, on the head, he pushes his books aside, and he knows it's tea time. He goes, and he makes himself a cup of tea. And he likes his tea really strong. And my wife figured out just a week ago that for that, he uses two tea bags in his thing. But it's his home. He can do that. He's a son in the house, and he helps himself to whatever. In fact, this morning, as I was leaving home, my youngest son comes to me, and he tells me, because you own the church, can you also put up another jungle gym for us? You see that confidence. And we need to be like that when we come to God. He is our Father. And we are His children. You know, I'd be, if my son had to come to me and say, Oh, oh most holy dad, I know you're really angry right now and busy, and you could just squat me like a bug. But don't you have just five bucks for my tuck today? I'd be horrified if my son was like that. And we need to come with this boldness and this confidence. Up to today, I'm 38 years old. When I go to Peter Marisburg, to my parents' home, I open the fridge and I say, Mom, what have you got to eat? Now, that would be weird if you went in there and did that. Although I must say, Johan might just do that. I remember when they just joined the church, we invited them home for dinner the one day. And he came in, he just went, helped himself to the fridge and coffee. And I got a shock. But he is our father. And, you know, when he taught us to pray, he said to pray, our father in heaven. He is our father. He wants to bless us. There's no economic downturn in heaven, business people. He wants to bless us. He is our Father, and from time to time, He will also discipline us. But He is our Father, and we need to act like it. Um, 
I didn't plan on saying this and probably not my story to say, but for some of you, you might know, uh, those of you um, who know us a little better would know, would know May and the family that she came from. And I know most of you would say, yeah, but Brandon, it's easy for you. You've got good parents. You've got a good mom, good dad. But May came from a home with a very abusive father. And um, like really, really hectic. He was an alcoholic and abusive. How many times do you think in our marriage that has affected us where it's been daddy issues that has come into our marriage? How many times? It's never come in our marriage. Never. And do you know why that is? It's not because May is married to a Raja. That's where her identity comes from, although I would love it to be that. It is because she knows that she is a daughter of the Raja. And when you understand that, man, most people wouldn't know this. I'll be a bit vulnerable. I'm not the best businessman. I'm not the best accountant. I think I'm, I'm a terrible accountant. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. I know these things. But I know I am a son of God. And I'm confident in that. Again, for those people that know me personally, you probably think I take it to the extreme. And that sometimes I could even be arrogant. But I don't know if you watch some of these movies, like um, some of these movies where there's kings and queens and stuff. And you ever check their children? They're like little brats sometimes. They can do whatever they want. They're the children of the king and queen. Sometimes I feel like that. And I know it's difficult, especially if you haven't had that in an earthly father and an earthly mother. But find your identity. Jan spoke to the men yesterday about their identity, being in their masculinity and their biceps and triceps and all of that, and their careers. That's not important. It's knowing that you are a child of the Most High God and that you can come to Him, as His Word here says today, with confidence and with boldness. And if you've never experienced that this morning, I encourage you to come. Maybe you're having these issues and you need to see a therapist because it's not working out. Come to Jesus. Come to the foot of the altar this morning. There'll be people to pray with you. There'll be people to encourage you. But look to Jesus. You are his son. You are his daughter. And come with that confidence this morning. Shall we pray? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we could be here as the church. Thank you that we can be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God, that we are part of this royal priesthood. And I just pray for every person that is here this morning, that has come in, and wherever we are, we all are different places in our lives, Lord. But reveal yourself to us. Thank you for making this gospel inclusive that we could be a part of it, that we could be a part of what you're doing in the world today. Help us, Lord, to be the light and the salt even into this dark world. As we go out from here today, Lord, may we always reflect who Jesus is. Bless those who are also feeling insecure this morning in who they are, people who have lost their identity or do not know where their identity is and keep looking for it in, through earthly satisfaction, Lord. Help them this morning, we pray. Guide them this morning, Lord. 
Strengthen them, Lord. Give them the confidence and the boldness that we've read in your word. I just pray your blessings. I pray your anointing, Lord, over each person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brandon. It was really great. Fantastic morning this morning. Just to thank you all for being here. Um, as Brandon said, if anybody needs prayer, we, we certainly will have a team of people here who would love to pray for you, for whatever that might be. So please, please do that. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful day and a wonderful week in God's, God's shadow. Amen.